I'd like to have you turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now I'm thinking that we've been in the Gospel of John now for three years, almost. So when you see 20, just remember there's only 21 chapters. We got two more to go, this one and the next. And then we'll be finished, hopefully by Christmas, hopefully before Christmas of 2019. Just kidding. <laughs> John chapter 20. Certainly we now know after our previous study that Jesus has died. We spent a considerable amount of time looking at the suffering that Jesus Christ went through for us. And as we arrive here in John 20, we're going to see how different an approach John takes with the resurrection than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Although it's important for us to know what happened in those gospels as well to fill in any, any gaps that, uh, that we may need. But John begins this particular chapter with this scene. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark, which somehow gives us an impression that it was very possible, and this is not in the scripture, but it's very possible that she probably didn't sleep all night after that day, that long and eventful day. So she came early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, the tomb, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, which is how John identified himself, whom Jesus loved and, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in, that is John, stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him. And went into the sepulcher and seeth the, the linen clothes lie and the napkin or the face cloth that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. And so in studying the Apostle John's gospel account, it, uh, it needs to be remembered that he was writing from what can be considered as an historical perspective. He wasn't interested in giving insurmountable evidence for the resurrection as is given in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
But John's interest was twofold. First, to give the evidence that led him to immediately understand and believe. And second, to give enough evidence to lead anyone to immediate belief, if a person is willing to believe. Now, he wanted to give enough evidence to make anyone's faith worthwhile, reasonable, and upright. And when you consider that from the Christian perspective, each and every one of us needs to have a faith that is upright, a faith that is reasonable, and a faith that is worthwhile. Worthwhile in the fact that it is, in fact, a faith that leads to everlasting life. Well, nothing could be more worthwhile than that. So at least three times in John's gospel, and, and, and implied a few more times, but at least three times in his gospel, John records statements concerning evidence pertaining to belief, pertaining to faith. For example, in John chapter 14, remember that, John, uh, that Jesus is speaking to his disciples alone. This is the most intimate time that he's had with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. On that very night that Judas betrayed him and, and left the group, and the eleven stood with Jesus. Jesus said to them, you have heard how I said, I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. So there is that, that sense that Jesus himself has, has given a pattern to John about the evidence of Jesus going. And remember that at the beginning of John 14, this is when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But time and again, Jesus told them how he was going to go. The only way that he could go was by the cross. And he would say to them time and again, listen, I am going to be taken, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be put on a cross, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and on the third day I'm going to rise again from the dead. And don't think that the, the disciples really totally understood that. How many times did we say that they would listen to Jesus and go, well, what? You know, what, what, what is he talking about? What, what are you saying, Lord? And it sank deeper and deeper into the sorrow that they would have that... He's serious about going to, to the cross, but still not understanding and connecting the dots, as it were, about Jesus going and coming again. But Jesus was very clear that when it has come to pass, when these things happen, so that you might believe. Keep that in mind with John in just a moment. And then last week in John 19, verse 35, notice what John had said about the evidence of the cross, the evidence of Jesus Dying and the evidence of him being taken, of course, later on and buried. He that saw it, speaking of himself again, he that saw it bear record and his record is true. I am an eyewitness is what he's saying. And then he says, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. So we have, a, we have an understanding then of John's heart of what I just said earlier, that he takes this evidence for the sake of bringing others to believe if they are willing to believe. 
and stating it as fact, stating it as truth, stating it as eyewitness testimony. And then very generally speaking, in the next chapter at the very end, in verse 31 of of John 20, John writes this, but these are written... And what he's talking about are other signs. Verse 30, he says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, he says, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John was concerned that the gospel would go out so powerfully and so faithfully that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And so we have to, we have to see the, the, the very heart of this apostle from that particular standpoint. Remember now what his gospel was all about. Two groups of seven things. Seven I am statements of Jesus. Focuses his attention upon those seven statements and he focuses his attention upon seven miracles. And both groups of, of, of statements and things done were to show clearly that Jesus was indeed the Messiah of Israel, that he was indeed the one sent by God the Father, his only begotten Son, to die for the sins of the world, to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected on the third day. So, clear eyewitness testimony. All that said... The Apostle's record of the Lord Jesus' resurrection is a strong historical account of that event. And so to an honest, objective, and attentive heart, the evidence is convincing. But again, think about an honest, objective, and attentive heart. The evidence is convincing, uh, convincing a heart that Jesus himself, by the way, described in Luke chapter 8 as he explained the parable of the sower. And he talks about the seed that would fall on good soil. Uh, Luke 8, 15. Let's look at that just for a moment. Jesus said, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Bring forth fruit with patience. Now consider what is being said here. He says, An honest and good heart. Now, many of us here who came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I would hope all of you, but certainly many of you came to that that understanding, that conclusion after realizing that you were sinners, realizing that you had lived a life uh, that was against the things of God, against the law of God. And you could actually say, well, I didn't really have an honest heart. I didn't really have a, 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 a good heart. Or an attentive heart to the things of God. How many of us grew up, grew up going to a church and, and, and you know, we'd do everything we could to get out of there as quick as we could. Yet at some point in our life, being pursued by the Spirit of God, and he opens up the gospel to us in a way that we'd never seen before. At that very moment, the work of the Holy Spirit began in us, and we approached the gospel honestly. We do that by saying, you know what, I am a sinner. 
I have been a sinner. And I need a savior. And we approach the gospel with an honest, good, and attentive heart. So that we can confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that he is indeed risen from the dead. So before we press on, let's remember that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the essential part of the gospel message. As Paul himself reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, I like, to, I like to call this the, the gospel in a nutshell because uh, Paul compresses this whole understanding of what the gospel is in this statement. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, which is uh, Peter, and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. I'm going to come back to that verse in just a moment of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, which means since the time of, 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 uh, of the resurrection up to Paul's time, there were a few people that went home to be with the Lord. And verse 7 says, After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a key doctrine the key doctrine of the Christian faith, proving that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. For example, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching to, to the, the Jewish people during that time of Pentecost, and he says to them in verse 32 of Acts chapter 2, this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we, are, we all are witnesses. And therefore being the right I'm sorry, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Speaking, of course, of the, the work of the Spirit upon the 120. He says, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. And of course, David in that particular psalm is, is, is describing that the Lord... The father is saying to my Lord, uh, who would be, of course, the, the Messiah, Jesus, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that, that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So the resurrection is that confirmation that this is indeed the Son of God, this is indeed God the Son, this is indeed the Messiah of Israel, and this is indeed the Savior of all who would believe. And by the way, it's, not, and it's very clear even in this passage that it's not, it's not speaking of David. But we know one thing about Jesus. Jesus is of the line of David. Jesus is of the root of David. So that he could be then the very 
Messiah that Israel was expecting and waiting for. But unfortunately, they didn't see. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, And declared to be the Son of God, speaking of Jesus, with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So grammatically speaking, if you look at this, it says, And declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That's one clause connected to the resurrection from the dead, being that he was declared to be the Son of God with that power. And according to the Spirit of holiness as well. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he is the Son of God. It also proves that his atoning work on the cross has been effectively accomplished. The resurrection of Jesus proves that his atoning work on the cross has been effectively accomplished. In other words, there's no one else that needs to come. No no other sacrifice needs to be made. Jesus has made the one for all sacrifice for sin. Romans 4, verses 23 through 25, where where Paul is speaking of the faith of Abraham. He says, now it was not written for his sake alone, being Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. Now, what does it mean to be imputed? But that this would be credited or counted to our accounts or, or given to our accounts. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So we see then that by faith, our salvation is imputed unto us. It is accounted unto us. It is credited to us if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. That means that the work is complete, effectively complete. And the words of Jesus effectively fulfilled. It is finished. It is finished. And then, of course, the empty cross and the empty tomb serve as God's written acknowledgments. Now, what's a written acknowledgment? It's like a receipt. Something is paid for and you want a receipt and you need the receipt. So a written acknowledgment of what you paid is given to you. While the empty cross and the empty tomb serve as God's written acknowledgments, making it clear that the debt for sin has been paid in full. The empty cross, paid in full. The empty tomb, paid in full. Nothing else needs to be paid. Nothing else needs to be done by any of us here. We can't add to what Jesus Christ has already done. And time and again, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, but the only thing that we bring to our salvation is our sin. That is it. There's nothing to be proud of in that. But it does humble us, doesn't it? That Christ would do what he did for us. So our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, but he's also our sanctifier. And he's also our intercessor. And he's also a judge. I'll give you three passages of scripture to tie those three things in. As sanctifier, we find in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, a statement that Paul makes. And I want you to notice every, every time that he mentions the resurrection. In Romans 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That means that when we, bap- when, when we get baptized, we are saying to the world and to everyone, in effect, 
We identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We identify with his death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, notice the resurrection being mentioned, even so we also shall walk or should walk in newness of life. Which means that when you are baptized, you are giving that, 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 that expression of death, being in the water. And I always say, you know, we're, you ought to be really thankful we don't hold you down, you know, because of all of your sins, you know. I'm a great sinner. Well, good. We'll hold you down for a minute, you know, in the water. That's not the way it works, you know. We just get, you know, it's all just a picture, illustration, in the water, dead, coming out of the water, newness of life, your life. We identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we should walk in newness of life. That means we are different now. We are dead. The old man is dead. Now, now we walk differently. And then verse 5, it says, For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. The old man, dead. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Crucifixion, of course, speaks of death. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So we're not to serve sin any longer. So, I mean, the, the, the baptism, uh, the expression of baptism is one that says to the world, I'm, I, I'm different now. I'm changed. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Look at this, verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. Well, death will no longer have dominion over us. Even though these bodies may die, who we are will live on in Christ. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And hence every believer is to live unto God for eternity, not just on this earth, but for eternity. That, of course, makes Jesus our sanctifier. He has sanctified us. He has set us apart to live for God. Romans 8 verse 34 is the expression of being, uh, uh, of, of Jesus being our intercessor. But notice again, the connection to resurrection. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is raised or risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So praise the Lord that he is risen so that he becomes our intercessor before the throne of God, at the right hand of the Father. And then thirdly, we know that he is also judge. This time it is the Apostle Paul speaking to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens. And he makes a statement in verses 30 and 31. He says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. That man being Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. All man, all God. Whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. He has given us assurance that he is going to be a judge in righteousness on, a, on an appointed day. 
And by the way, you got to show up to that court. You will show up. There's no getting out of that one. We all show up. But he is judge based on the fact that he has risen from the dead. So from the very time of the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord's enemies tried to deny that historic fact. The religious leaders made the absurd claim that, that the body of Jesus was stolen from the tomb. Why absurd? Well, because the gospel writers made clear that the tomb was guarded, guarded by Roman soldiers, and the stone which covered the tomb was sealed by an official Roman seal. That would be pretty secure, for the most part. But on top of that, Jesus' disciples didn't fully believe or understand that he was to be raised from the dead. Isn't that an interesting thing? Up until that time, they, they still didn't believe fully, and they still didn't understand fully that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. But consider this. They may not have believed, but do you know who did? To a certain extent, do you know who did? His enemies. His enemies remembered Jesus' words. Matthew 27, look at verses 62 through 66. And consider the detail being given here. Matthew 27, 62. Now, the next day that followed the uh, day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. Man, we can't shake Pilate off, can we? Until we turn around, he's popping up again. So they go back to Pilate and they, they said, saying, sir, sir, we, we remember that that deceiver said, listen to how they call, what they call Jesus, a deceiver. Sir, we remember that 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 deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Then they said, command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day. Just in case. Lest his disciples come by night. Now see, this is bogus. You'll see why in a minute. Oh, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. So Pilate said unto them, you have a watch. There'll be somebody out there. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. Pilate was tired of these guys. Just, just go, you know, take whoever you want. Put the guards up there. So they went and made the sepulcher ashore, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So we see then how well protected the, the, the tomb of Jesus was. Now, we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, the, the Jewish religious leaders would not have taken the body of Jesus because the last thing that they wanted was anyone believing that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. So they weren't going to take Jesus out of there. But his friends, you know, they said, you know, lest the, you know, the, 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 his disciples come and take Jesus out of the, to, hey, these guys, where were they when Jesus was taken in to be crucified? Man, they split. 
they were gone. They all went home or, hi- or, or hiding somewhere. You think they're going to come and steal the body from you know, with Roman soldiers and a seal, a Roman seal on the tomb? No way, Jose. I think I said that last week, did I? No, no way. Well, sorry, Jose, if you're here. So, you know, they're not, the Jews were going to do the, the, the friends. Could. See, if the friends of Jesus could not steal the body, and his enemies would not steal the body, then who took it? That's the question. Who took the body of Jesus? If it was taken. Now, you, you hear all kinds of things over the years, over 2,000 years as a matter of fact. Because it's believed that the disciples had these visions of the risen Lord and interpreted those visions as evidences for the resurrection. And so everything that we hear about the resurrection was something that was given uh, from the standpoint of, of just uh, uh, declared as, as visions of resurrection, but that he didn't really rise from the dead. But as stated before, they, they didn't expect to see Jesus, and that's just not great preparation for the use of such visions. If they didn't believe, then how could they go around saying, well, he's going to be, you know, he's, we see visions of him already raised from the dead. That kind of, that kind of, remind, that kind of reminds me of, of, of the, uh, uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses who have stated that uh, Jesus right now is in, in their uh, official uh, offices in Brooklyn, New York. And that Jesus has been there since about 1918. Has anybody seen him? So, here's going back to that, that verse I told you about in, in 1 Corinthians 15. How could more than 500 people have seen the same vision or hallucination at the very same time? If that's what it was. They couldn't. After that, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6. Paul said, he was seen. Physically seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Seen. Now, there's another absurd position, uh, and it's to think that the disciples and the other followers of Jesus went to the wrong tomb. There's, there's that argument. Well, they just went to the wrong tomb, and they thought that you know, Jesus was, had resurrected from the dead. Well, that is so easily disproved by the scriptures, right? Matthew 27, verse 61, there was, Mary's, there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. They were there. They knew exactly where Jesus had been buried. Why do we know that? Because in Mark 15, verses 46 and 47, it says, and he bought fine linen and took him down. Of course, we're talking about Joseph of Arimathea. And, and, and Nicodemus helping him. He, he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, the wife of Cleophas, beheld where he was laid. Now remember, these are all details. And what are details? Details of evidence. Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. So they saw where he was laid. Luke 23 verse 55 says, The women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. That's detail. 
how his body was laid, how they took his body, both uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and laid him in the tomb. They saw it. So how could they say, oh, they went to the wrong tomb? People are always trying to disprove the resurrection. But even in the dark, think about this, even in the dark, Mary Magdalene knew where the tomb was. Verse 1 of our text, John 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. In fact, as the women approached the tomb, because the other gospels tell us that she wasn't alone, but as the women approached the tomb, they were worried about who would roll back that large, heavy stone that covered the opening of the tomb? They wondered, how, how was that going to be moved for us to go in and, and anoint the body of Jesus? We go to Mark chapter 16 to, to substantiate this particular picture here. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and, the, and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, the, the, which is the mother of uh, James and John, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who should roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, you, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. You seek the one who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Check it out. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. But he said, this is the right tomb. You're at the right place. And you're seeking the right person. But he's not here. He is risen. So being that the Gospel of John, now, and of course all the, all the Gospels, so we, we can't discount the other Gospels here, but being that the Gospel of John touched upon every moral issue of the scriptures in the teachings of Jesus would eliminate any possibility of the apostles fabricating a lie. Because of what Jesus taught, that just erases any possibility that they would put this fable together. But more importantly, 
the description of so many little details, details that can only be classified as human details, says that the phenomenal event is one that actually did take place. Evidence, folks. Such human-like details could never be built around an event whose main point was a fable or a fairy tale. Not like what we saw in verse 2 of our text where Mary's frantic human response of bewilderment was one of saying to, to the disciples, oh, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they've laid him. Or Peter and John running in verse 4. So they ran together, both. They ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And, and it, you know, I, I, you know, John just had to write, you know, that he was faster than Peter. <laughs> Younger than Peter. Lighter than Peter. Okay. You get the picture. But then there's John's fear. His fear and hesitation of entering into the tomb, verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. He saw them. He saw the linen, but he didn't go in. And lastly, John, believing without physical fact and admitting that his belief was not based upon an understanding of Scripture. Notice verses 8 and 9. Then went in also that other disciple, that's John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. Not based upon an understanding of Scripture, because verse 9 says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. That he must rise again, I should say, from the dead. So there are two last things that we need to deal with here. We need to take note of the linen clothes. Because both Peter and John saw them. Plus, we saw from another gospel that the, woman, that the women saw the linen. This is significant. But John describes it in such a way that makes it clear that no one could have taken that body. John saw that the linen was lying undisturbed. Undisturbed. Because the word, the Greek word for the phrase wrapped together in verse 7 Entetuligmenon is, is the word. It's a verb which is used for actually winding the linens around a body for burial. In the very same manner as Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths at his birth and laid in a stone manger that looks very similar to the tomb or the tombs in the Middle East, giving us a picture of what Jesus came to do, came to die for you and for me. So this means that the linens were still wrapped just like they would be wrapped around a body but there was no body. 
The napkin or the face cloth was also wrapped. And again, it's the very same concept here. It was wrapped and it was separate from, from the body wrapping. And it was placed near the linen wrapping. The linen wrapping was right where the body would have lied. And Jesus rose from that. And it, just, it was just there. And then the face cloth was taken and laid in a very neat and orderly place. Not far from the linens. But here's the thing. The description is this. Nothing was disarranged and nothing was disheveled. Which means that the body could not have been stolen since the wrappings would have been taken as well. Listen, if you're going to steal a body, you're not going to say, well, let's unwrap that. But it's going to take too long to unwrap. Let's just take the whole thing, you know. Take note also of John's immediate belief. He didn't believe so much because of insurmountable evidence. This is what he's saying here. Listen carefully. Even though he gives us a lot of evidence, he didn't believe because of the insurmountable evidence. John believed because he loved Jesus. Now just think about it for a moment. John believed because he loved Jesus. And he loved Jesus and believed everything Jesus said. And because he believed him, he loved him. And because he loved him, he believed him. John realized, you see, what had happened. And he believed. And while the text in verse 9 says, For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. John obviously remembered Jesus' prophecy that he would arise. And remember that time and again he would tell his disciples that he was going to die and be buried. And on the third day he would rise again from the dead. But they didn't understand it. But John saw the linen. And he believed. He believed his Lord. And that is what a loving God desires from us. He desires a heart full of love for him. Because if we love him, we will believe him. And if we believe him, we'll love him and serve him. He wants a person to simply believe that God is, that God exists. And the God, and that God is a rewarder of them that love him and that seek him with all of their heart. That almost sounds like a verse of scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where Paul says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. To diligently seek our God, to diligently seek our Lord and Savior, cannot be separated from diligently loving Him and serving Him with all of our heart. We either diligently seek Him with everything that is within us because of who He says He is, 
or we don't. John believed. He remembered. I mean, we, 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 we can find places in the Old Testament like, like Psalm 16. It's not going to be up here on the, on the screen, but you can look it up in Psalm 16. Uh, wonderful verse here, verse 10. Psalm 16, verse 10. I should mark this so I don't have to be searching for it. Psalm 16, verse 10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is primarily a, a verse of scripture in the Old Testament that points to resurrection. So, mark it, okay. That's just one, but there are many. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And I love John here because John, first of all, expresses his, his fear of what was going on, what, what, what was happening. The tomb has been opened, the, the seal has been broken, the soldiers are not around really there to protect anything unless they were overwhelmed by the presence of the angels that came. And overwhelmed by the power and majesty of a risen Christ. But he looks in and sees the linen clothes lying neatly and orderly. As if the Lord just disappeared out of them. And yet appeared risen because he was. And of course we know later that he would appear to his disciples and he would even challenge them, touch me. He was risen. And the disciples began to realize who Jesus really was. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah of Israel. And that resurrection sealed it in their hearts. For all of the evidence, we still have to have a heart that is humble, honest, good, and accepting to say yes. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. And with that, God begins his work in us to change us and to make us new creatures in Christ so that the old is passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Amen.